Oh, our precious Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I was waking up crying, so it wasn't just the video. I've had a very soft and precious heart to my Savior this morning. And all I can do is just keep saying his name. So let's, let's do that together, just quietly. Let's close our eyes and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about the Bible doctrines for the last couple of weeks that are the foundations for Christianity. God, the Father, Jesus, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, salvation. And today I'm going to talk on the Christian life and how do we live the Christian life. The Bible teaches that the Christian life is one of constant growth. When we were born again, we were born into God's family. It is God's purpose that we will grow into full stature and become mature in Christ. It would be against the law of God and nature if we were to remain a baby and thus become a spiritual dwarf. In 2 Peter 3.18, the Bible says that we are to grow. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That implies steady development, constant enlargement, and increasing wisdom. My first point of how to be living a Christian life is that we must see ourselves as God sees us. When it really dawns on us that we no longer have our own identity in the old man, our flesh, our failures, or in what we've said, or in how we've been in the past, but we put what God has put within us by his Holy Spirit, that's what we think about, his divine nature, then our life will be set in motion, which is entirely supernatural. God has not called us to a religious life, but to a supernatural life. <laughs> Acts 10.38, we're told how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is the Jesus who lives in us. All that Jesus did here on earth, he wants to do through us. Everything he said then, he wants to say through us today. All that he was, he is in us today, no matter how we feel. What if we've never felt anything supernatural happening in our lives? I mean, God didn't say we'd feel his divine nature in us. He said we'd share his divine nature. Second Peter 1.4 says, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Living in God's kingdom means we should no longer focus on how we feel, how we feel we are, but instead focus on whose we are. We need to start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. It's not just a matter of rattling off Bible verses, but it's a case of answering yes to what God has said about us in those verses. If God has said we are a new creation, 
then we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If God calls us an overcomer, then we are an overcomer. 1 John 5.4 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How about this verse, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If he calls us his friend, we are his friend. James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. I can say that verse this way. Jill believes God, and it is counted to her as righteousness, and she is called a friend of God. It could be said of you too. John fifteen fourteen. you are my friends if you do what I command you. If God says we're his servant, then that's what we are. John twelve twenty six. if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it doesn't matter what others say about us, or even what our own flesh tells us. We are what God says we are. Let's see ourselves in that light. Remember, when we were born again, we received God's life within us. When God gave us his life, he gave us all he is and all he has. He gave us his health, his riches, his wisdom, his anointing. Second Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So when we enter any situation, it is God himself entering that situation with us. It's time to take the Bible literally in our lives. When we allow God to establish the fact of the new creation within us, our eyes will be opened and we will see him as he really is. This is the process of surrendering to Jesus. We are to let the Holy Spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes. When God does something, he doesn't start on the outside. He begins on the inside. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit within him. It was through the Spirit of God that we are born again and became a new creature. By the Spirit of God, we were brought into the body of Christ so that today, also by the Spirit of God, we are in Christ Jesus. Having been born of the Spirit, we are now to walk in the Spirit. And this means that the bountiful life that God implanted within us will now begin to flow out of us. Romans 8, 2. 
And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, it's the spirit of God which gives us life. And by walking in the spirit, I walk in that life, and I walk in that blessing. As believers, we need to renew our minds. The old mental ruts that we used to tramp back and forth, those are going to still exist in our minds. But God's spirit will begin to present new thoughts to us and lift us out of those mental ruts up to a higher level. Let's ask ourselves a question. Is our heart right? God looks on our heart, on our willingness to humble ourselves under Jesus and flow with the life flowing from the, our regenerated spirit. See, even when we aren't perfect, God delights in us. He takes pleasure in us when our heart is right. God deals with our carnality or our fleshliness as we grow in him, and we begin to recognize what is fleshly or wrong. I think of David, King David. He's the man who had a heart for God. And we get to read about his ups and downs and his struggles and everything he went through. He was obviously just like us. But his heart was right. And God took pleasure in David, didn't he? And he takes pleasure in us, too. God wants to remove from our life anything hindering us from following Jesus. This means that we need to settle the question in our hearts of who our Lord is every single day. Second Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let's be eager to know God. In Philippians 3.10, Paul makes a number of weighty or challenging statements. His heart and mind are after only one thing. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. From the first day of the Damascus Road to the day he finished his course, Paul had only one thing in him, and it was to know Christ better. The whole of his life was one consuming hunger for the living God and one great thirst for more of Jesus' resurrection power. The life Paul lived, it was no average, mundane, dreary, aimless existence. On the contrary, his life left a mark in history, not only for his own generation, but even in ours. By his life, the world had been changed. Why? Because he had been changed by Jesus. When we read about Peter and Paul and other individuals of God throughout history, we think, wow, how wonderful that God chose them and used them. It would be terrific to be used like them. But then we stop there, for we are sure that it was only for them and could never happen to us. 
But John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Who's talking? Jesus is talking. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. That means the Holy Spirit has been put within us. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. This is more than a general desire that Paul had. This took an active determination of his will, one in which he thought through and was prepared to take the consequences. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. What does all of this mean? It means that with the whole of his being, he sought after and pressed toward attaining that which he knew was rightly his. To leave the level of head knowledge for the deeper, burning passion of our spirit to know him and the power of his resurrection. Why was, so, why was Paul so earnest and pressing to know Jesus? It was because he had seen him. When we really see, remember, he didn't see him with his eyes. He saw him, though, didn't he? Therefore, we can also see Jesus just as Paul saw him. When we really see who Jesus is and what he has done for us, then we'll really strain forward to know him. Do we know our Father? It's one thing to read about God, to read about his attributes and his character, but it's completely different to know him. I have a sister-in-law named Cheryl. Um, she's married to my older brother, who's three years older than me, and they've been married for, what, 35 years now, I think? And um, when my, my brother was in middle school, high school, he never had any girlfriends, and he met Cheryl on a blind date and she lived about an hour away in Columbia, South Carolina. And so anytime he'd go on a date with her, he went to her house and he'd take her to their mall. And so I didn't get to meet her. I didn't get to get to know her. I got to hear a lot about her. And as his only sister, I've been the only girl in his life for all of those years. And I hate to admit it, but I was jealous of Cheryl. Sounds crazy. But um, those were feelings I was struggling, and I don't think I realized I was jealous at the time. So um, my parents decided to take a vacation at the beach, and they rented a beach house for a week, and Cheryl was invited, and they weren't married yet. So Cheryl and I got to share a bedroom, and I remember not being very happy about that. Um, I just had an attitude, copped an attitude towards Cheryl, and I tell you what, all it took was one evening in our room together talking. And all my walls came tumbling down. Um, she's just such a sweet person. She has all the 35 years I've known her. She's so, has such a, sorry, my throat is getting thirsty. She's always had such a precious heart toward God. And she's, been a very, she's a very loving, giving person, compassionate, um, thinks of others all the time. And so all it took was me getting to know her. And 
what you know I was crazy to have any type of attitude against her so I told you that story because it is the same with God we can know about God we can hear sermons about God we can read about God in his word but it's a totally different totally different when we get to know him Oh, just like Paul and Silas in jail, we have to take time to be alone and sing praises to our Father. And that's what I had to do with Cheryl. I had to get alone with her. It's just her and I, and we got to talk, and we got to learn about each other and share our hearts. And do you know it's that way with our Father? It's that way with Jesus. We just get alone with him, and we just tell him how wonderful he is, and we sing praises to him to worship him. When we do this, something supernatural happens. Remember how I said that we're called to not live a religious life, but a supernatural life? That doesn't come from us. We don't grow a cape and become a supernatural superhero. No, we have the supernatural God living within us. And so when we get to worship him and spend time with him, all of a sudden we get to know him intimately, personally, and no longer is it about God. We know, know him. This is the crucial part of our relationship with God. When our knowing about him in our heads becomes intimately personal because we know him with our hearts. Who is God? Let's refer to some things that the Bible says about him. God is almighty. Well, what does that mean? When we hear these words, we think that Almighty means he's the creator of heavens and the earth. Yes, it does mean that. But it means more than that. It signifies that he is almighty toward you. He is almighty toward me. It means that nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible for God. No hindrance, no problem, no opposition, no circumstance in your life is so difficult that God cannot do something about it. That is what God's omnipotence means to us. God is also love, isn't he? This means that God, who can do anything, is also willing to do anything. One definition of God's love is his will to use his almighty power. It's often no great problem to believe that God can, but it's often more challenging for us to believe that he will. We doubt God's love more than we doubt his power. This is why it's so wonderful when that leper in Matthew 8 cries, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. To hear Jesus answer, I am willing, be clean. The love of God expressed itself in Jesus' willingness to use his power and heal the leper. Yes, God is love. That means that he loves everyone. He's without respect of person and has no special favorites. God does not show favoritism. I do remember one time in one of my sermons, I said that I felt like I was God's favorite. So he doesn't have favorites, and yet when we know God, you feel like you're his favorite. Very often we get the idea that he has certain favorites whom he sanctifies more than others, or equips with more gifts and more grace, but this is wrong. This can either idolize the person, we can either idolize the person because of that, or the total opposite can happen. We can become discouraged, 
full of self-pity or envy in the one who doesn't consider themselves to be as sanctified or loved. And this is something that God also must get to the bottom of in our hearts. We've got to see ourselves as God sees us. We must know that we are God's child, thoroughly loved and accepted. What we do, what we don't do, is of secondary importance. When I see that God is love, that I am loved by him, things become so very different. I no longer have to seek people's validation or appreciation or their acceptance because the love of God is truly enough. And knowing that, I can come to rest. I'm not looking to a person to fulfill what only God can fill. I don't look at my husband and expect him to fill that big gap of loving affirmation that only God can fulfill. In his prayer to his father, Jesus said, You have loved them even as you have loved me. God doesn't discriminate between people. He doesn't even love Jesus more than he loves you. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. What a truth. The Father's love is so great to me. And when the truth of this revelation dawns on your heart, remember, not your head, dawns on your heart, it is revolutionizing. You begin to realize that you don't stand in a courtroom relationship with the Father, but in a family relationship. And this means you never need to have a guilty conscience when you come to him. I never have to have the right words to say to God. And for me, this is true. That fact was revolutionary. Because not only do I struggle with what I'm feeling, uh, what I, yeah, I don't know what to say half the time. Not only can I struggle with what I'm feeling, many, many times I don't even know how I feel. I don't know if any of you ever have that problem. So when I talk to God, I know he loves me deeply, and he already knows what I'm trying to say. And honestly, there are times that I just smile at him and say, you know, you can't do that with another human being. They'll look at you like you're crazy. But we can have those type of conversations with our Father, because he does. Hebrews 10, 22, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. When we live in forgiveness and accept that God lovingly and truly forgives our sins, we can come boldly to our Father, conscious of righteousness, and free from any sense of shame or shortcoming because we are justified. A lot of people are afraid of God, that he's going to punish them or take all the enjoyment out of life for them. That sort of image of the Father totally vanishes when, the love, when his love is revealed to us. And then it's so easy to give ourselves to him from the depths of our hearts, to let go of our fears and the need of safeguarding our own life. People, let's dare to release our grasp and lose our own life so that God's life can begin to manifest itself through us. What else does the Bible say about God? That he is faithful. God always stands by his word and keeps what he has promised. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. 
He has never he has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? This means that Father, our Father, who's spoken to you in his word, will stand by all his power, by everything he's promised in his word to you and to me. His promises are true, and they apply to each of us. What he has said, he has said to you, he has said to me. And the worship team can come back up. I lit it before I played the Advent video. Um, the um, Living the Christian life, the very basic foundation of living the Christian life isn't as much as getting out the word and figuring out the verses. Let's worship our Father. Get alone today. I just want to encourage each and every one of you, go into your bedroom and shut your door all by yourself and just think on God, your Father, and tell him everything you're thankful for. Tell him how wonderful he is, and something supernatural will happen. You will begin to feel his presence, feel your inner being, and a personal, intimate knowledge of him will take over, and you will hunger and thirst for more and more time alone with him. Amen. Everyone go ahead and stand up, and we're going to sing a closing